Welcome. Do not adjust your sets. <laughs> this is Studio Two. I'm Avi Wolfman Arendt. And I'm Cherry Gregg. Avi, 2023 was tough for a lot of Americans economically. Yeah, we've heard about it. There were many recession fears. Inflation was evident at grocery stores. My food bill still makes me grumble. Housing prices are still sky high. The list goes on and on. But as we near the end of the year, there is some really good news about the economy. Can you believe it? You don't say. Yes, we'll get some clarity from Patrick Harker, president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia, later today. We may have avoided a recession, mm-hmm. Cherry, but a lot of folks listening didn't miss the finale oh, of no. Six Session. <laughs> TV critic David Cooley is here to talk about that amazing joke and also the very best in television this year. The Crown, The Bear, Black Mirror. There were a lot of shows to keep up with. Mm-hmm. Send us your top picks or your questions for either of our guests today, Philly Fed President Pat Harker or David Cooley. Email studio2 at whyy.org or give us a call, 888-477-9499. But first, Cherry, some headlines. Yeah, a tragedy happened in South Jersey last night. 6ABC's Chopper 6 crash, killing the pilot and the photographer that was on board. It happened sometime around 8 p.m. yesterday evening. The victims had been on their way back from an assignment at the Jersey Shore when the chopper crashed in a wooded area in Burlington County. The crashed chopper was discovered around midnight by state police in New Jersey. And at that point, it was just too dark for them to do any type of investigation. At this point, the NTSB has taken over that investigation. Now, 6ABC, of course, they're in mourning right now. They have not released the names of the crew members who died because they're still notifying family members. But the station said that the victims had a long history at the station and had been part of the action news team for years. That is such a sad story. Absolutely. And uh, our condolences to our news partners, uh, to the families. And um, we will uh, bring you more when we have it on this story. But it's a tough day for, you know, the news community in our region. Also, uh, this morning we heard about uh, formal charges Mm -hmm. against a man named Elias Diaz. Um, You might not know that name, but you might know his criminal uh, alias. Yeah. He is allegedly the Fairmount Park rapist. Mm-hmm. And if you lived in this region for a while, you'll know that name. Um, between 2003 and 2007, there were a string of attacks, including a deadly assault um, against women uh, in and around Fairmount Park. For years, no one knew who was responsible. Now police say this man, Elias Diaz, is responsible. And the way they have gone about determining that, they say is through DNA evidence. And in Mm -hmm. fact, it's related to some of the stuff we talked about on the show last week, Cherry. Um, They had DNA Mm -hmm. from the scene of these uh, crimes. And they were able to, through genealogical research, pinpoint that it was this guy, they believe, Mm -hmm. Elias Diaz. However, they had no idea where he was. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there were a string of uh, attacks in recently in Pennypack Park in Northeast Philadelphia, Um, that he is also allegedly responsible for. And they were able to then realize this was the person that they had been looking for in this cold case from 15, 20 years ago. Pretty remarkable. Yeah. And I mean, investigators, they sent that DNA to a genealogy lab and they went through more than a thousand family members across the mainland, 
U.S. and Puerto Rico to identify Diaz. I mean, it was so um, fascinating and interesting. And um, kudos to the investigators who combed through all of that to identify this person. Of course, you know, you know, justice has to take its toll. It's it's due. Right. Um, of course. For but sure. it was just so interesting that we talked about the impact of DNA, of all the genealogy uh, information that's now available and investigators days later able to use that to um, to find this man who has, you know, allegedly caused so much problem and, and sadness in our region. It's a new frontier yeah. in investigative work for police departments all across the country. In Philadelphia, we've seen several examples of it. The boy in the box case, we talked yep. about that. Yep, identifying um, this, this. Yeah, this is this is the latest example of how DNA is completely changing the way investigative uh, work is done, and also the timeline mm-hmm. over which these crimes can, you know, at least conceivably be solved. And by the way, I had to mention that a couple of years ago. Through the use of the DNA that they had, the police were able to use that DNA to create a composite sketch of the suspect. So DNA is being used in so many ways to help solve crimes. And this is a prime example of that. A little politics now, Cherry? Yeah. A new poll from Muhlenberg College shows President Biden and former President Trump in a dead heat heading into the 2024 presidential race here in Pennsylvania. Now, Biden is hovering at about 42 percent and Trump around 41 percent. That's among registered Pennsylvania voters. Sixteen percent of the respondents chose neither or another candidate Mm. with just one percent undecided. So it seemed like a lot of people have their minds made up, at least of those polled. Now, this the outcome of this closely mimics a survey we saw from Franklin and Marshall College, also here in Pennsylvania. In October, their poll found that Biden uh, was holding a very slight advantage over Trump, 42% to 40%, definitely within the margin of error here. And nearly two-thirds of registered Pennsylvania voters who responded to the poll do not believe that the current president, Biden, deserves re-election. People cited different reasons, like disapproval of his job performance. They also cited his age. And at the same time, Avi, 70% of respondents say former President Trump does not have the temperament to be president. So people are kind of, they don't like either of the candidates, it seems. Do you think? Yeah. (laughs) No, they don't like either candidate. Uh, It reminds me a lot of 2016. I'm not saying the result will be the same, but it was a similar situation where there was two very well-known people Uh, Donald Trump, who'd been famous forever, Hillary Clinton, who'd been famous forever. They were both widely unpopular, and it ended up being a very close race here in Pennsylvania. Um, Obviously, people know who the current president is, Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. People know who Donald Trump is. Like you said, 1% undecided. So 16% neither or another candidate. That is amazing. They also, interestingly, in this Muhlenberg poll, uh, ran Shapiro, Josh Shapiro, yeah. as sort of a theoretical candidate just to see what people would say. And he did far better than Joe Biden. It's theoretical candidates are always tricky with polling because, like, you know, they're not being run through the ringer in the same mm-hmm. way. They're not being challenged and pushed in the same way. And, and they're not they're not getting the negative attention that the actual candidates get. But it was still interesting that sort of generic, well-known Democrat did way better than Joe Biden. Yeah. And, and, you know, our governor, Josh Shapiro, is still riding high. I think a little bit of that 95. <laughs> we're going to be talking about yeah, but he, I mean, his numbers. Were not and he's very well known either, here. He was just yeah. way better than Biden. And he's, he's well known here. But it, it's interesting. We'll see what happens. We have a lot to look forward to in 2024. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be a year. It's going to be a year. Get ready.
All right. Um, Joe Biden acted in uh, one of my favorite shows. He made an appearance in Parks and Recreation. Donald Trump appeared in the movie Home Alone 2. I didn't catch that one. It's been out for a long time. Um, But uh, they recently did a little had a little fun. A, A sports betting website from North Carolina did the math to figure out how much it would actually cost to recreate Kevin's uh, wayward trip in New York City in Home Alone 2. Um, and it was very expensive, Cherry. That's the upshot. That's pretty much all we have time to do in this segment. I tell you, it was very, very expensive to do what Kevin McAllister I, did in the 90s. One one quick example. Room service bill in 1992, 967 Today, over $2,000. That's for the same thing. Lay off the nuts. All right, coming up, <laughs> Philadelphia Federal Reserve Bank President Patrick Harker will talk a little bit about inflation, state Let of the economy, go. all that stuff as we head toward 2024. Email your questions, studio2 at whyy.org or call us 888-477-9499. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Welcome on back in to Studio 2. I'm Cherry Gregg. Hello, folks. I'm Avi Wolfman-Aaron. For the past few years, there's been a lot of talk about recession. Many economists predicted the United States was headed that way. But now it appears, at least according to those same experts, that maybe we are avoiding that. And as the year wraps up, at least by the standard metrics, our economy appears to be in pretty good shape. Yes, that means despite the Federal Reserve hiking interest rates to fight inflation, the job market is still strong and inflation is coming down. But I'm not an economist, so... You're not? No, Avi, no, I'm not. Oh, right, you're a lawyer, but yes, you're right. training, got it. <laughs> so, but here to tell us more about how we may have averted a recession, how our economy looks heading into 2024, and how that compares to how businesses and workers in our region are feeling is, federal, is Philadelphia Federal Reserve President Patrick Harker. In fact, they have a Chamber of Commerce member survey out just today... Patrick, welcome to Studio Two. Thanks for having me back. So glad to have you. And uh, folks, if you're listening and you have questions about interest rates, wage growth, consumer spending, or anything else you can think of, send them our way. 888-477-9499, studio2 at whyy.org. Um, Patrick Harker, I want to start here. What did the experts and prognosticators mm-hmm. miss? Why didn't we tip into recession as many, many very smart people thought we would? Often we look at historical precedent, right? What Mm -hmm. happened before? But this was an incredibly unusual situation we found ourselves in, in going into the pandemic and coming out of it. So all those previous episodes didn't really teach us a whole lot about how to deal with this situation. So I think people just relied too much on the past and not thinking through what we did. We put a lot of money into Americans' hands Mm -hmm. during the pandemic, and that's been spending down over time now. And so that raised inflation pretty dramatically, and we know that, and and Americans have suffered for that. The job's not done. Let me be clear. The job on inflation is not done, but we are moving in the right direction. Things are starting to look better and better. So is the idea now moving forward that what happened over the last few years 
is maybe not even useful for the next time we come in toward a precipice like this because it was so unusual? Or do you think there are actual lessons that we could take forward from this and apply in the future? Yeah, there are probably lessons that we can apply. We're in the middle of it right now, so Mm -hmm. it's hard to Mm -hmm. know exactly what those are. I mean, God willing, we don't go through another pandemic like we've gone through, and that this really is a -a one-of-a-kind situation. Uh, And I think we... Where we are right now, if I look at myself, I'll just talk for myself, what we were hearing early on uh, when the inflation was rising, we saw the data, but data always lags, mm-hmm. right? And what, but what I was hearing from all our contacts throughout the region was, yeah, things are going up faster than the data is showing, the soft data, as we call it, yeah. right? What we're hearing now is the opposite. Things are starting to soften in the economy, mm-hmm. maybe faster than the data says. I don't want to make that same mistake twice of mm-hmm. not relying more on the soft data as opposed to the hard data. And that's why I've been in the camp of let's hold rates where they are for a while. Let's see how this plays out. We don't need to raise rates anymore, in my view. And so let's talk about this soft landing. Yeah. Um, what does that look like in real terms when you combine the hard and the soft data? What is that looking like for us, for folks who may right. not know what that means? Yeah. So it's not going to be a, a nice, smooth, soft landing necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's going to be bumpy. But what it means is that we can keep the labor market strong. Mm-hmm. Now, unemployment will probably tick up. Our forecast is it will tick up a bit. But it's not going to tick up dramatically. And so what a soft landing means is most people can still get a job if they want a job. Most Mm -hmm. employers can still find the workers they need. And we bring inflation back to our target of 2%. That's what a soft landing means. Now, does that mean we're, because there's been a lot of caution. And even when you sat down here, Patrick, I said, do you have, this is good news, right? And you were like, oh, not so much. (laughs) Uh, I wouldn't wouldn't say good. I'm paid to be a pessimist sometimes. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Because there is this caution. What could go wrong to stop this soft landing? Oh, there are a lot of things that could go wrong. If you think about what happened going into the pandemic, a pandemic hit us. Mm -hmm. Then this tragic war in Ukraine. Then the tragedy we're seeing in the Middle East, right? Those things are unpredictable in many ways, Mm -hmm. but they affect the economy, and we have to adjust to that. We did adjust to these issues. I mean, this is an incredibly resilient American economy. Mm -hmm. I think you have to step back and look at this and say, this is incredible that we've gotten through this Mm -hmm. in a position that is still relatively strong. Now, note, there are people who are really suffering. Low-income people are having a hard time paying their bills. This is why we need to get inflation under control. Let's talk about that topic and the gap between perception of economy and some of these more standard yeah. standard metrics that we use to judge the health of the economy, because there does seem to be a gap. Sure. Why do you think people, in response to surveys, some of this softer data, right. will tell you that they don't feel that the economy is as good as those numbers suggest? I think there are a couple of reasons, and there's a lot of research on this. Psychologists and economists have talked about this. One is that it's real. I mean, for people right. who are where a lot of their income goes to pay the grocery bill, mm-hmm. right? They are really seeing the prices not come down. The second is though, people conflate price level versus inflation. Inflation is how prices are going up or down, right? And people all say, "Yeah, but the prices are high." The inflation could stop today, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but prices will still, still be, be high, high for right. certain things, right? Like food and, and other areas. Uh, and last one is housing. I mean, you think about the n- real necessities of life, shelter, food, transportation. Those things 
have not come down as fast in many cases, like food. It's starting to move in the right direction, and shelter's starting to move in the right direction. And we know we have problems there. We're still shy of a lot of housing units in yeah. this country. If you think about this region, we're adding a lot of housing into the region, into this city. But there's still a lot of demand, and so we're not quite meeting that demand yet. The imbalance continues there. Correct. Yeah. And so let's talk about this report that came out today. Um, it, you look at business owners in a mm-hmm. variety of sectors. What did you all find in the survey? Well, a couple of things. One, we are starting to see that things are slowing. They are starting to say, yeah, we're probably seeing some slowing. We saw some slowing in 2023, and we're predicting we'll see some more slowing in 2024. But the other thing that we saw is that what was in pre- previous years, what was top of mind to businesses was labor. They couldn't get the people they yep. needed. Yeah. That's still on the list, mm-hmm. but it's not number one. Number one now is the cost of capital. That is financing their business because we did raise rates. Yep. And that's why, again, it, it's important that we start to move rates down, but do it in a way that we can, we don't have to do it too fast and we're not going to do it right away. It's going to take some time. We should hold rates where they are and start to bring rates down in order to help those businesses. But again, what we're trying to do is get things in balance, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you say, as, as your survey indicated, businesses were still talking about labor, but it was side by side right. with mm-hmm. interest rates. Right, um, right. And I want to make sure we at least get some of the questions in from our listeners. Um, and you can tie this into the survey as well. This is an email from Jessica. Like many Americans, I'm carrying a pretty sizable balance on my credit card. Yeah. I've seen the interest rate on my card almost double from what it was a few years ago. As the interest rates go down, or I guess Jessica's hoping they go down, um, can I expect my credit card interest rate to also go down? It will follow. Yeah. Uh, so it, it will as follow a lagging, over time. Sort of, it, it lags. Yeah, it lags. Uh, it lags. Yeah. So I don't think you're going to see it right away. as we Because the Fed, we control the very, very short end of what's mm-hmm. called the yield curve. That is the overnight rate. I mean, a very short end. <laughs> Banks borrowing overnight. The other rates follow from that, but they do take time. I got to ask you this question from uh, from Chris, who sent an email. Um, he says, what do economic indicators tell us about costs of living across the Delaware Valley? He says, so many are moving to the south for lower taxes and housing availability. Does this population decline risk our fiscal stability? And if local expenses are not competitive, we could see conditions deteriorate and cost rising further. Your imp- yeah, folks that, are leaving to, for better housing options. That's a really complicated question. <laughs> a lot, a lot <laughs> there's there a lot. Chris. There's a lot packed <laughs> in there. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, obviously, the cost of living overall is one factor, mm-hmm. but the other factor, of course, is the jobs that pay the wages that you want in an area that you want to work in. Mm-hmm. So those are balances. The, the balance that people personally have to make, right, personal decisions. So while there is some decline in certain sectors, uh, like Pennsylvania, populations in decline, not so much in Delaware, uh, New Jersey. It's pretty yeah. flat. So And Delaware went up. And Delaware went up yeah. a little bit. So, yeah, it's not uniform even across our region. I want to bring in an email here from Brian. We have a couple minutes left. Is there a concern that the monetary stimulus policy influenced pockets of the economy, and I think Brian means sectors of yeah, the economy, yeah. more so than desired? For example, tech, equities, Bitcoin, et cetera. What's your take on Brian's question there? So monetary policy is a very blunt tool. Yep. You have one, one interest rate for everyone. And the economy is very and, diverse. And the economy is very diverse. Yeah. So sure, it's going to affect certain sectors more than others. The ones that really we focus heavily on are things like housing 
and the base the necessities of life uh, when we look at inflation. But yeah, sure, it's going to affect different sectors differently. And we have about a minute and a half left. And, uh, you know, we have the big infrastructure bill, lots right. of work being done. We saw I-95 have some issues. Uh, Josh Shapiro, our governor, got on that. We have work being done here in Philadelphia with the cap. Your thoughts multiple on caps. Multiple, yeah. caps. <laughs> multiple caps. Your thoughts on how all this work on the infrastructure is going to affect our economy. Really important. I mean, we are, we are behind. I'm an old civil engineer, right? <laughs> I mean, so the quality of our infrastructure uh, as graded by the American Society of Civil Engineers is bad. It, and it has been bad for a while. So we need to make these investments. But it's not just about repairing and fixing. It's about making it better. It's not just about rebuilding the road. It's about rebuilding communities. Mm-hmm. And so we've done a lot of work in the Philly Fed, and I encourage people to go there, to look at the kind of work, that, it, it, even historical work. It is true that when we build a railroad, there were people on the other side of the tracks. Yep. When we build a road, there were people on the other side. It affected communities, and in many cases affected communities, particularly communities of color, very negatively mm-hmm. uh, in terms of just cutting them off uh, from certain sectors of the city. Those echoes of those decisions are still here, and you, we've documented a lot of that. So let's take our time to not just patch I-95, but let's think about how we invest in our roads, our transit systems, and so forth, yep. to really make a better community. That's a wonderful place to I end. I think so, too. Patrick yeah. Harker, president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia, thanks for joining us again on Studio 2. Thank you. And coming up, the best TV shows of this year and what to watch in 2024. TV critic David Cooley is with us, and we want your favorites. Email studio2 at whyy.org. Welcome back, everybody, to Studio 2. I'm Avi wolfman Arendt. And I'm Cherry Gregg. Avi, I watched a lot of TV this year. A lot of it was great. Congratulations. Thank you very much. <laughs> the zombie thriller, The Last of Us, HBO's final season of Secession, the dystopian Black Mirror, even the reality TV version of Squid Games. Very good. Those were some of my favorites. How about throwing in a comedy every once in a while? Something, hey, something to lift the mood. <laughs> um, but the, I did hear great things about all yeah, those programs. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of great shows this year. Mm-hmm. So many streaming services to keep track of. Um, yeah. Even with that 148-day writer's strike, there was still a lot of stuff to watch. Mm-hmm. So we have brought in an expert, an expert I think you know, TV critic and Rowan University professor, David Cooley, to share his top shows from the year, some sleepers that maybe deserved more attention, and a little look forward to what's coming in 2024. David Cooley, welcome back to it, Studio 2. Well, it's it's really, really nice to be here with you guys. It's I really know. nice Stand to have you. I think you're, I think you're, you're kicking butt on this show. So, oh, so. David. He's warming us up. I love it. <laughs> and we want you, friends, to tell us the shows that captured your attention this year. Call us or email us your picks and recommendations. Our phone number is 888-477-9499. You can also email studio2 at whyy.org. So, David, lots happened in 2023. We had a writers and actors strike. There was crackdown on streaming subscriptions. What are your big takeaways as far as the industry when we talk about TV in 2023? Well, the fact that it kept going yeah. was amazing with that strike. That strike was really important, what they were fighting for. 
mm-hmm. uh, because the distribution system, the way you can make money as a TV uh, writer, producer, actor has all changed because the model that the contracts were still based on back in the 60s, mm. nobody watches TV like that anymore. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the rewards aren't there. So they had to fight for it, but it meant we had a tough year in terms of TV, but uh, hopefully it'll be better uh, in terms of the, the studios for a while and the production, but it, it'll, be, it'll be leaner. We're not mm. – it's going to cut down a bit. Mm-hmm. On the people, you're saying? On the people uh, no, involved? No, I'm saying on the number of programs that are offered. On the, yeah. And the streaming services are going to start fading or merging. I mm. wanted to ask about that before we get into specific shows because I thought that would have happened already. Like there, It just seems like there's more and more and more of them, um, including ones that are free now. There's Freebie and – to be and Fubi. I mean, it's hard to <laughs> It's hard to keep track. Yeah, to be and not to be. Yes. Exactly. Yes. I just that's the I, Shakespeare when, only. <laughs> nobody watches that. But when is the great merger coming, David? I know you don't have a crystal ball, but I am surprised that there is still there are still so many streaming services. Well, it took about twenty years uh, with cable television yeah. because when cable started, the big dream was okay. You're going to get a jazz channel. You're going to get a. a Broadway music channel, you're going to get this. But everybody went over, went after the the shares of the biggest parts of the pie. And so everything consolidated. Yep. And so you had to buy, eventually, you went from individual services to getting uh, forced to buy packages. That's going to happen here. I imagine it'll probably take five years before it all shakes out. But mm-hmm. what do I know? <laughs> I mean, really, what no, do I, I know? know? But but I'm in, I am surprised by the pace. You mentioned it took about 20 years on the cable side. Um, things tend to accelerate with technology, so so I just thought it would happen faster. But maybe next five, ten years, we will see that phenomenon finally take take root. That's something I'll be watching for, Cherry. For sure. But I, you know, when we think about the, we zoom out and we think about the business of streaming, the big guys, Netflix. Uh, or girls, should I say? A Prime, Paramount Plus, <laughs> Disney. They're, Public radio yeah. over correctness. <laughs> hey, I'm calling hey. it out. Uh, they all still seem to be dominant when when it co- talk about some of the best shows, right? And so I want to start with one of my favorites okay. from this year um, about a post-apocalyptic Earth, right? And The Last of Us. Um, it huge rage. Um, I want to play this clip. Um, in this clip of The Last of Us, the Earth has been hit by a fungal infection that turned infected humans into flesh-eating zombies. Wow. In this scene, Joel and Ellie, the main characters, they talk about how the pandemic started. So the tainted food all hits the store shelves around the same time Thursday. People bought it, ate some Thursday night or Friday morning. Day goes on. They started to get sick. Afternoon, evening, they got worse. And they started biting. Friday night, September 26, 2003. And by Monday, everything was gone. David, this was definitely the top of my list. And you think about it, I mean, it's, you know, sparked all type of articles about whether or not fungus could really take over the <laughs> earth. I mean, this, this, this had a huge impact. And for me, it didn't even have the – it's an exact same episode that you pulled this clip from. 
the thing that got me wasn't the 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 new kind of like vegetable zombies that mm-hmm. they'd come up with and the fact that it was based on a video game that I'm never played. I didn't yeah, yeah. I had never heard never of even it. Heard of it. Yeah. I, you know, yeah. But uh this same episode was mostly a flashback about two characters we'd never seen before and it was so touching. It's one of my favorite written and acted and presented episodes of the entire year wow. and it's inside this this zombie thing based on a on a video game what distinguished it from other zombie adventures in your mind uh that particular episode because when i saw the first episode the whole thing was a prologue to get those two characters together yeah. and on their journey mm-hmm. and at the end of the journey they the end of the first episode they start i think okay and it's going to be like zombie and run away zombie and run away zombie mm-hmm. and run away but it wasn't and this was so deep that it was basically an unexpected love story yeah. over mm-hmm. so much time and uh, where most of these type of shows based on video games will just carnage and death and no problem, this spent an entire hour to make you care about the death of one character. Yeah. Interesting. And, Interesting. and really well done. And I want to zoom out a little bit and talk about this obsession with zombies because I am obsessed. I mean, one of the ways I rate myself is I ask, will I survive the zombie apocalypse? Will you? Today I say yes. Oh, interesting. I've developed certain skills. We won't talk about that right now. (laughs) But I got to ask you. I want to because my my answer is always no. In all of these things, what would I do? I would die in the first reel of anything that I watched. But but I want to talk about one of the most famous uh, zombie is The Walking Dead. Yes. And there have been, there were multiple spinoffs that launched this year from The Walking Dead. Uh, um, the Walking Dead, Daryl Dixon, The Book of Carol, the <laughs> second, you know, The Walking Dead, Dead City is renewed is for a, a second. Dead? Yes, yes, it yes. is so oh, good. Oh, and, and coming soon, Walking Dead, Blood from a Turner. <laughs> you know, they're just it. squeezing everything they can out of this show. You're not a fan, I take I, it. I'm a fan of The Walking Dead, yeah. uh, at least the first 19 seasons. <laughs> But I want to ask you about this this phenomenon of of sort of spinoffs from like amazing series like oh. The Walking Dead. Is this a, a new trend? And how do you think they do? Because clearly you the no, blood but, from a but as as we all know that the television universe has expanded and and streaming has expanded. Yeah, everybody's trying to get attention for their new stuff, and it's harder and harder. So mm. intellectual property, known titles, mm. uh, really go. That's why among the most prominent things shown on TV this year, um, whether cable or streaming, you know, are either uh, sequels, mm-hmm. uh, revivals, or um, uh, finales to pull mm-hmm. people back yep. in for yeah. one time. I want to give an example of okay. just such a thing. Look season at you, five, all <laughs> season five of Fargo, yes. and in this season, oh. John Hamm plays Roy Tillman, an above the law sheriff. In Roy's own reality, he's the judge, mm-hmm. the jury, and too often, the executioner. There is no one on God's green earth who is a greater enforcer of the laws of this land than Roy Tillman. Why do I feel like there's a but here? But what you need to know is that I am the law of the land. Elected by the residents of this county to interpret and enforce the Constitution given unto us by Almighty God. Mm-hmm. Freedom. Amen. You know, I hear that word a lot out here. I'm curious what you think it means. 
Agent, if you don't know what freedom is, I don't think me saying the words out loud is going to teach you. Okay, David. Mm-hmm. I love John Hamm, yes. and I love the original movie by the Coen brothers, so Fargo. Good. I have no idea why I want to invest more in this sort of Fargo spinoff universe. Can you convince me? Oh, absolutely okay. I can convince you. Because <laughs> there, are, there are three instances I can think of in the last five, ten years when I have come to a new project, a new... Uh, a, a new link or a, before that a DVD that I'm putting in thinking I'm going to hate this. Mm-hmm. I've got to watch it. Mm-hmm. I've got to write about it. i got to do something, but I am going to hate this. First was Breaking Bad. Ooh, that's the description good, of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. junior high school, I mean, you know, high school teacher dying of terminal cancer, term becoming a mess dealer with a former student so to good. do a <laughs> nest egg for his pregnant wife. It's like, oh my God. I was loving it within five or ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, we already talked about that the, the you know the the Last of Us mm-hmm. and how that surprised me. Mm-hmm. But Fargo, mm-hmm. I loved the movie like you did, and it was like and and I'd never heard of this guy Noah Hawley, and he wants to reimagine it and do his version, something in the spirit of Fargo. It just seems like someone's trying to make money off of Fargo. That's what I hear when I hear the description. It, yes, it's like it's like. Okay, somebody saying, "Oh, I like Twin Peaks so much. I'd like to do a series <laughs> right. called Twin Peaks mm-hmm. in the in the style of Twin Peaks, yeah, yeah. but my own thing." It's like, "How dare you? You right. can't do it." I'm telling you. I'm looking you right in the eye. Trust me, radio mm. people. I'm looking him right in the <laughs> eye. Both eyes. <laughs> yes, and saying, "I loved the first season." And it's a standalone 10-episode right. thing. Mm-hmm. So, any character can die at any time, and most of them did. <laughs> you know, and it was like wonderful. And then he doubled down, kept the money there, did a season two. Completely different characters, stories, setting, just as great. Season three, yes. Season four, yes. Now season five. I am not faking the enthusiasm in my voice for this. I teach this in college as like an example of some of the best TV written today. So if you loved Fargo, it's not a reason to stay away from it. It's a reason to run to it. Ooh, and let me right. tell y'all, David's body language right now, has he had the finger up? pointing? Yeah. I'm, yes. <laughs> I'm going to watch Fargo. Um, speaking of using um, big names to get a draw, there's been a few, uh, I think, that did that. And, and I want to switch our, our discussion around docuseries at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, few on my list. I mean, Pamela, Love Story, that was one. Sly about Sylvester Stallone, big names. But one that caught the eye of many is Netflix's Beckham docuseries yes. about David and Victoria Beckham. And I want to play a clip in this scene from Netflix from the show Victoria Beckham seems to misrepresent (laughs) it was so funny to me her family's economic status and she gets corrected by her husband take a listen to this we're very working working class be honest I I am being honest honest. I am being honest what car did your dad drive you to school in so my dad did, no, one my dad what car was it it's not a simple answer because what car did you Get your dad to it depends. No, 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 no. Okay, what in the eighties, my dad had a Rolls Royce. Oh, that's such a M- good yeah. Gee, so that's working class. I didn't know yeah. that you could drive a Rolls Royce. It was a Rolls Royce. Rolls, 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 Rolls. <laughs> and so, let's th- talk about docuseries. First of all, your impression of Beckham, and then are there others that you think? had this yeah. type of draw. Now, Beckham, this is an example of why, as a TV critic, I haven't given up, but I'm I'm not. I'm not as confident as I used to be because mm. Beckham slipped by me for a week or two. Ah, this and is then I saw, I mean, part, I, yeah. I, you know, I can't see everything. 
before it premieres, there's too much. And so, and so any list that I give of the best of the year is not what it used to be, the authoritative, this yeah. is the best television offered over a 12-month period. It's the best of what you saw. It's the best of what I saw. Yeah. And it's so much to see. But Beckham, it's like, you know, at first, one of the reasons why I didn't get to it, it's like, oh, Beckham sports, big deal. The first time I heard somebody whose opinion I really trusted saying, oh, no, this is a really good one. And it is. I mean, watch Beckham. It's really, uh, it's so personal. Fisher Stevens, an actor, is the guy who was the director of this. And he obviously had a great relationship with both of them. And he interviews them together, as in that clip. Or actually, David Beckham is just peeking, peeking out from around, the other room. Peeking yeah. from the other room. Yeah. But interviews them direct, like, like, like they're... Uh, suspects in a murder. Mm, he interviews them separately and they what tell the different stories <laughs> about the same thing. Well, it's tough with sports docs mm-hmm. because they often end up being like hagiography, basically. Yeah. Like, hey, look at this amazing person who did all this amazing stuff. It is tough to tell a good personal story in a sports doc, yeah. but everything I've heard about Beckham suggests they, they pulled it off. It's amazing. At one point, you feel so bad for him, like he's the most hated person in the mm. whole country and how he comes back from that. And... Uh, it's really interesting how characters that you think halfway through this multi-part documentary, oh, that's a bad guy, that's a bad coach, and then re-enters mm-hmm. the story in a whole different way. Yes. I want to read some of our listeners' mm-hmm. favorites because they've been sending them in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joan Marie sent an email, says uh, she's got a comedy for me to watch on Netflix called Fisk. Joan Marie also uh, loves The Crown on Ooh, Netflix. Yeah. What a wonderful, well-done, consistent series that has been. No one was presented as the villain, just people trying to do their best. An interesting take on The Crown. Um, We also got Stephen mentioned The Last of Us, one of the best shows Mm -hmm. I've ever seen. Uh, Emil, a bit of a hater, said it was a weak year, basically the bear and a mountain of mediocrity. Um, The bear was wonderful. I disagree about the rest, but the bear was terrific. And the bear, uh, it's it's not the first season of The Bear now, so tell me how that show has evolved. And for folks who don't know The Bear, it's about um, a restaurateur, a restaurant owner in Chicago trying to kind of rescue his family's uh, dying restaurant. Yeah, it stars uh, Jeremy Allen White, who was so good in Shameless, the yep. American version of Shameless. And uh, th- this show just got stronger and stronger. In the second in the second season, it had three different standalone episodes that I thought were terrific television, mm-hmm. um, all in the same season. And I don't want to do any spoilers. You just start watching this series from the beginning, but I will tell you how much I loved it is that by the end of the second season, if anybody is totally fluent, and this is not a spoiler, there's one scene where uh, the assistant chef makes an omelet for somebody. All right? So I took weeks perfecting that omelet. (laughs) I have seen that omelet on menus in the real world, David. See? See? People love that. It's got, was it Gruyere and potato chips? Yes, yes. It was was sour cream and onion potato chips crushed on top of a regular straight omelet with uh, uh, just a soft cheese that's oh sort of God. extruded in, like, you know, Ooh, and then folded over. Fabulous. Edible television. That's the direction yes. we need to move in. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Some of the other uh, shows that folks like, uh, someone else loved The Bear. Um, we loved Reservation Dogs. Mo was also very good. It was from 2022 with Just Saw It. That's from Jennifer. And so that pivoted me to another question. I want to talk diversity a little bit because the 10th annual Hollywood diversity report came out. They said 
um, with findings that more top shows featured racially, ethnically diverse casts. Um, that authors, the authors of the report also found that casts finally meet, uh, reached more representative levels of race and ethnicity across all platforms. And it seems like viewers like it. Your your thoughts on that? I yeah. mean, and Reservation Dogs <clears throat> is one of those examples. Um, you know, uh, Beef, another example. Yes. Yeah. Oh, no, Beef. Yeah, Beef is one. I mean, you look at, at the prominence of of people in even the bear mm-hmm. yeah. and things like that. It's wonderful. I used to worry in the old days, because mm-hmm. I've been doing this a long time, and when they first started noticing, oh, my God, like everybody on the Mickey Mouse Club, you know, all the Mouseketeers were white yeah. in the, mm-hmm. the first time around, and that, that would never happen again. But even so, it was like, okay, we're going to have one Asian-American comedy. It was like Mr. T and Tina. And then that was enough. Mm -hmm. And my thing back then was it can't just be a quota because if the show is terrible, then, oh, yes, you can say we've got this minority represented in this show. And so we're done with that. Mm-hmm. It's got to be the quality of performances, and you've got to be more or less colorblind. And it's it is finally happening. Yeah, and it's like the shows are about different stories, yes. all different types of people. And it seems like the stories that are more diverse are getting higher views and higher ratings. So mm. I feel like that's winning. There's there's one show now. This again, I just. It's a movie that was shown in theaters for like a day and a half, made by Netflix. Mm-hmm. Now it's on Netflix. So it's one that I, I don't include as a television original, but it's Leave the World Behind. Yes. Oh, I watched that over oh, the weekend. Okay, all right, okay, all right, okay. Yes. You, I, you loved it, didn't you? I absolutely did. Yes. Yes, I mean, uh, it, it was just... I won't. I won't spoil it was because it's just. Was Ethan Hawke one? Is, or is, I'm thinking of some. Ethan Hawke, Julia Roberts. Yes, Mark Sahala... Uh, uh, Ali? Ali? Yes. Okay, yes. Okay. Yes. Who shows up uh, at, at this house and in his first scene, you know, uh oh, attention. It's a, it's a, <clears throat> it's, it's a non-white person mm-hmm. showing up at a house in the middle of the night, and it's scary. He's wearing a tuxedo. Mm-hmm. Interesting. You With know, an expensive car outside. Yes. Yes. And it's like. Uh, it wouldn't be the same show if it were colorblind, but it uses it uses it such the racial racial and racist sub themes so brilliantly. Hmm. And then they and, all end up yeah, anyway. Yes. It's a good oh, it's, it's, it's about the end of the yet. world. It, it's good. No. It's Could, it's I just good. want to backtrack a little bit because we have an interesting comment from Brian. Because okay. uh, Brian is clearly That's listening. just like Brian. Isn't it? <laughs> my dad's name is Brian. Maybe this is my dad. Ooh. Um so he worries about one-sided docu-series like Beckham or the Taylor Swift one mm, um, or, or like the Beyonce project when the, the folks who are profiled are sort of producers themselves or are involved in that mm-hmm. end of it. And we do see this a lot. Uh, the, I remember the Michael Jordan uh, Last Dance series. He was certainly involved in green lighting certain footage. Um mm. Although I thought that was a good project. I, I mean, that does seem to be a trend where it's a famous person, and we are obsessed with fame right now, David, um, who is involved not just as the subject, but also as kind of the overseer of the project. It's a great question and a great point. And again, it's like you can't look at it just like a quota. You can't say all of these are bad. Right. And so Beckham, uh, 
believe me, David Beckham does not look good in a lot of this documentary. Yeah. Um, mm. That obviously the decision was made to tell the story, warts and all. Uh, one that I feel matches what he's saying, where one side got to say so much and leave so much else out, was the documentary that was done about Woody Allen on, mm-hmm. uh, I think it was HBO, I can't mm-hmm. remember. Interesting. But it was like, okay, I know there are absolutely two sides to that story, but it seemed like you weren't even allowing the other side Not engaging with it, to yeah. be heard. But... Uh, most of the time when you get documentaries there's MGM plus i don't i can't remember the last time i watched MGM plus didn't know it existed See, until, I didn't know until today yeah. yeah in march susan lacy the woman who did so many great documentaries artistic documentaries for american masters is doing a two part documentary on paul simon oh. so i'm really looking forward to that but i don't know until i see it whether it's going to be you know, so approved that it's going to be They're going to just build a bridge over those troubled waters? Okay. <laughs> or are we going to dive right in, David, you know? There you go. And I want to go over a couple more. We had Gilded Age, which is a show that I really like, Gardens pointed that out. Buffy the Vampire Slayer reruns? Who knew that? <laughs> Imelda pointed that one out. And the email from Howard says, two excellent, if darker picks, fellow travelers, and the HBO documentary Murder in Boston were two of the best I've ever watched this year. That's according to Howard. But I have one that I love, and I have a clip. Black Mirror. Oh, I love that oh, show. Thank you okay. for mentioning. Oh, me too. Me and too. And this is, a, let me set the clip up. It's in episode one of season six. Joan, played by Annie Murphy in this scene, finds her life being streamed for viewers in real time. She's sitting at an off, a lawyer's office when she learns that she signed her life story away to the corporation. Legally, the Streamberry Corporation can do this. What? How? Trust me, I'm as shocked as you are. But the show is using my life. It's it's my name, it's my career, it's me. They're, they're using me, so... And you assign them the right to exploit all of that. What? When? Terms and condition. I have never seen this before. You have. You just haven't seen it printed out before. All of that would have popped up on your phone or whatever when you first signed up to Streamberry and you clicked accept. And, you know, I know we only have a couple minutes left in the show, but your take on this and then this whole idea of, you know, um, folks having the fears of real life when real life meets fiction um, that continuously happens at Black Mirror. Yeah, that episode of Black Mirror, Joan is Awful, actually predicted uh, the encroachment of AI in creative fears. I mean, really cannily and, and made fun of Netflix while it was doing it and Netflix was the network presenting it. <laughs> so um, good. Black Mirror is brilliant, and and I love anthology shows. It's why I love Fargo, is that, you know, when you're watching a show where the character doesn't have to live, you know, the stakes are automatically higher, mm. and it's great. Okay, a few more I want to read in here. Katie loved Telemarketers, the most insane and perfect documentary I've ever seen. <laughs> Jacob loved Dave, which stars a Philly area native, Lil Dicky. Um, Miles loved Scavengers Rain. But let's look forward now in our last couple minutes to 2024. David, what are you really looking forward to? Uh, well, I've already yes. said the Paul the, Simon one, yeah. The, the Paul Simon one. Mm-hmm. On the very first or second day of January, there's on Fox Broadcast TV. 
Wow. This may be the first thing we've talked How about. How do I get there? Broadcast television. <laughs> How do I get um, there? They're doing a two-hour documentary about the TV series MASH. Oh, on Fox? Fox on Fox. Back. You know, because it was a 20, it was a Fox production originally, mm-hmm. not Fox, yeah. the net, but I mean Fox the corporation. But they're getting together, whoever's not dead, yeah. and oh. they're talking, you know, they're talking mm-hmm. MASH. Yeah, and that, the finale of that show remains the highest viewed scripted program ever shown on television. So I'm looking forward to that. But I want more Black Mirror. I want more Fargo. Oh. Um, you know, I'm, I'm ready. And... Uh, what are you going to miss the most that ended? Because like we got Succession ended, Barry yeah. ended, because mm-hmm. um, you just mentioned finales and Mash. What What do you think you're going to miss the most that ended in 2020? Um, succession, yeah. probably. Yeah, that yeah, was I so could have spent more Such time a with those people. Yeah, you know, the, the whole idea of Succession is you could you you could spend time with the next generation because that is the Succession. Except they failed. At succession, they didn't succeed. <laughs> well, look, if if The Walking Dead is any guide, I know. perhaps there will be yeah. spinoffs from succession. They'll be succeeding oh. 10 or 20 years from now. You never know, yeah. David. Yeah, and the brothers, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of, there's spinoff yeah. potential, I think. Uh, there's money to be made at the very least. I don't know if the creators want it to happen. But, but if I have 10 seconds left, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, the second season of Fargo... Uh, has it starts off with a great role by Kieran Culkin, mm. who was in succession. In succession, so you can hit two birds with one stone there. <laughs> perfect. And perfect. we will leave it there. David Bean Cooley is professor of television studies at Rowan University and founder and editor of TVWorthWatching.com and guest host and TV critic for Fetch Air. We really appreciate you being here today. Thank you so much. I seem like one minute. You guys are great. Oh gosh. Please come back. We, yeah. I, I love talking TV with David. I do too. The passion, you know. And now I have a and little I list. A lot. I, I have a little, little list. list. Um, that's our radio show for today. It's over. Our producers are Debbie Builder, Paige Murray Bessler, and Andreas Copes. Charlie Kyer masterfully engineered today's program from Woo-hoo. Studio 2 at WHYY in Philadelphia. I'm Avi Wolfman Arendt. And I'm Cherry Gregg. Thank you so much for joining us today. <laughs>